So welcome once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. You are joining us on episode 81, which is going to be our weekly comics review show. Please do be warned that it is spoiler filled. And that is uh, a gentleman across the table from me celebrating that uh, early warning. <laughs> Hello, it's Roddy. Also joined by... And Keith here. And your host as always, Alan. So uh, yeah, this is going to be our reviews uh, podcast. These are for releases on the 12th of February 2020. The only reason I'm throwing the uh, the year in there is because I've been relabeling all our podcasts. We're now going to be on Spotify as well as SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts and wherever else you find, uh, you find us turning up. But uh, all the old content's going to be on there. But this week we're going to focus on the 12th of February. But as usual, before jumping into the comics, a quick round the table. How are you fine, gentlemen, this fine day? Not bad, not bad at all. Uh, had a nice uh, nice weekend down in Dublin and uh, just just chilled out, read my, read my books. Um, I have been reading, rereading Earth X um, by, uh, by our buddy Alex. Um, big Rossi, big Rossi. Um, <laughs> so uh, I've been really, really enjoying that. In fact, probably enjoying it more than the first time I read it in the nineties. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a lovely, a lovely looking trade as well. So good book, fantastic. That was Marvel's answer to Kingdom Come, I believe. Some would say, yeah, some would. Say. Keith's not sold in that nah. description. I think it was a Chris was asking you in the store the other day, was it? And you could just no. tell it was a real brush off, a real. T- don't simplify the story, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of the it's one of those gaps in my reading that I've uh, yeah maybe take a line to that Keith if that's all right. No bother at all because you don't have enough to read right now. I know. Um, yeah, I think for me my weekend was quite a lot of TV watching. Um, watched uh, finished the Pharmacist, which uh, Keith and I talked about. Absolutely fantastic documentary series on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very and very good. Also watched Baghdad Central, which was a six issue. Six, Six episodes. Oh, <laughs> just so hung up on comics. Um, so six episode uh, mini series on Channel Four, um, but a but a murder in Baghdad um, during the the war on terror. Really, really good. Really recommend it. And yeah, that was about it. Just sort of stayed in and avoided uh, storm. Was it storm, Dennis? Were we up to storm, Dennis? This yeah, time was I it? I think so. Yeah. I wish they'd stop giving these storms names. It's like uh, air quote storms. Giving them, giving them power, you know, and, and people <laughs> then get scared of them and think they have to batten down the hatches, which yeah. is probably the reason they give them names. Yeah, I yeah. would say so. But yeah, that was about it. What about you? I just chilled out weekend. Um, got a little bit of a side project, sort of secret side project I'm working on at the moment. So I've been sort of watching a lot of horror movies over the weekends, and uh, really good one called As Above So Below, which I was really surprised by. Uh, all about uh, the catacombs under Paris, which was really really good, I have to say. And then I'd love to say I watched any one of the thirty shows I need to watch that I've never seen before, but I instead watched uh, ten episodes in a row of The Office and may have watched Batman v Superman again. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> oh. speaking of Batman movies, uh, yeah, just on a little bit of the news and so forth from the last week. For me, the big sort of uh, the big breaking news was definitely the costume test footage released by matt reeves for the batman which is the upcoming movie as i say matt reeves directing robert pattinson as batman as uh, zoe kravitz as catwoman you've got colin farrell in there you've got paul dano in there jeffrey wright andy circus certainly assembling a really really good cast for it it's a strong cast and taking their time with it which is what i'm liking the most about it and 
it is going to be its own thing, so it's not beholden to any other movie or anything like that. Mm. Early footage I thought was really interesting. Uh, it was obviously just a very quick tease, slightly different um, bat symbol. It's actually a real hearkening back to the original bat symbol at the very start in the 30s, which didn't have the bat ears. Uh, a lot of speculation that the symbol is made up of the gun that killed Bruce's parents, which is uh, something that was explored in Detective 1000 by mm, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith's liking that. And one of the one of the best stories I personally thought in Detective 1000. Uh, really high collar on it, had a sort of a Curse of the White Knight vibe to it. They seem to be taking some stuff from the comics, which I like. But again, there's all conjecture, of course. But mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, They're saying that over the three movies, right? Yeah, they were talking of a trilogy and maybe the suit evolving over time. Mm. And so it has a very handmade quality to start. Uh, but for me, the, the, the star of the little sort of teaser as it was, was the music. I just thought it was yeah. awesome. Just gave me real chills. I'm a real big fan of Michael Giacchino. Probably pronouncing that wrong, but uh, he did the music for Lost, which I'm a huge fan of. So, uh, yeah, there was that. There was um, the announcement of Death Metal. Uh, I can see Keith foaming at the mouth for Scott Snyder's next cosmic epic. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, both of us are going to give it a miss. <laughs> we, I, I've never read metal. Never maybe. read metal. No. Need to get into that. Next book club. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sell it to me. Well, the most important thing for metal, uh, death metal, I should say, is that uh, they're once going to, again, going to have those awesome foil embossed cardboard covers, which are big selling points. It was a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. Metal was essentially a culmination of a lot of Schneider and Capullo's work on the new 52. Uh, it was the series that introduced the Batman Who Laughs. It was a series all about there being a mirror multiverse, but it was a dark multiverse. And it did lose itself once or twice, but it had so many big ideas. And a lot of them worked. There were one or two that maybe, you know, as Keith likes to say, Schneider got away from himself a wee bit. He lost the run of himself. But I, I thought it ended really, really satisfingly. And the announcement of Death Metal, I think, is definitely one for excitement. There's cool. a, there's an it's... awesome image of Batman on like this, you know, skeletal looking bike with a scythe in his hand, just looking like the Grim Reaper. It's just, yeah. it looks fun to me, but I'm looking forward to its sequel, Progressive Metal. Uh, <laughs> opera metal, uh, heavy metal, and all the rest. But I would say the pre-orders and that will be big. Um, it's uh, Wonder Woman is the main character, yeah. I believe, and then everyone else is sort of tied in. I mean, with metal, it was very much a justice. It was very much a DC universe title, but Batman was the main sort of oh, driving okay. influence yeah. for the story. But I would say, yeah, with this one, they've come out and said it's going to be very Wonder Woman centric. She even wields uh, a weapon on the cover uh, called the Chainsaw of Truth. I would love to know how that's going to work. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but that's what metal is. Metal's supposed to be over the top and overblown. You know, there's a part in metal, the original, where there's a massive dragon, which is like a Joker dragon, and Batman punches it in the face, and it just like collapses in front of him. It's supposed to be big and stupid and fun and... You know, so I'll look forward to that. Cool. I got to say that's going to be in the next previews book. So we'll probably chat a bit more about it on a future podcast. I did see some other news that will probably excite you two more than myself because I'm <laughs> not the biggest He-Man fan in the world. But you see the voice cast got announced for Kevin Smith's oh, yeah, animated one. Pretty, uh, pretty special. Yeah. Who have we got? Because I haven't seen it. Well, uh, the, I mean, even the, I mean, so the oh, Kevin Smith's showrunner. Uh, Mark Bernardin is executive producer from uh, mm-hmm. from Batman Beyond, uh, their podcast, yeah. fantastic. So, uh, and they've got some really good writers on there. Um, their the synopsis, the the, the title is uh, 
uh, revelation, revelation. Human revelation. And it, uh, apparently it's a radical return to Eternia. It's a direct series sequel to the classic era Masters of the Universe. Uh, it features fan favourites He-Man, Orko, Cringer, Man-at-Arms, and the story pits our heroic warriors and guardians of Castle Grayskull against Skeletor, Evil Lynn, Beast-Man, and a vile legion of Snake Mountain. After a ferocious battle, Forever Fractures Attorney, it's up to Tila to solve the mystery of the missing Sword of Power in a race against time to prevent the end of the universe. Her journey will uncover the secrets of Grayskull at last. And this is the epic He-Man and the Masters of Universe saga that fans have waited 35 years to see. Um, so yeah, they're, uh, the casting, uh, there's, there's a whole note, like, like a noteworthy pairing of, of actors and characters. We've got, uh, Mark Hamill as Skeletor. Oh, uh, wow. yeah. <laughs> Game of Thrones actress, uh, Lena Headey as Eva Lynn, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Sarah Michelle Gellar as Taylor, Taylor. Uh, Henry Rollins as oh, Triclops, <laughs> <laughs> Alicia Silverstone as Queen Marlena, Justin Long as Roboto, um, the best one coming next, yeah. I'm guessing. <laughs> Jason Mewes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Wait, will, let me guess. Will Voice. Merman? No, he's no. Stinkor. Ah. Who, <laughs> interestingly, had the same character model as Merman. Yeah. But uh, there is a better person doing Merman. Oh, he is? Kevin Conroy. There you oh, are. Oh, wow, yes. really? Oh, sign me um, up to that. Candyman star and horror movie veteran Tony Todd will voice uh, Scareglow. Whoa, and cool. Alan Oppenheimer, who originally voiced Skeletor, along with a whole range of other uh, original yeah. characters in the filmation, uh, cartoon will voice Mossman. Um, so yeah, so it looks. I mean, there's, they're 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 not shying away from a lot of the more, uh, I guess, colourful characters. Yeah. Um, is there anyone I missed in there, Alan? Uh, Liam Cunningham from uh, also uh, Northern Irishman, yeah. also from uh, Game of Thrones. Who's he? Is Man at Arms? Man? Oh wow! Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. Um, yeah. So when when does this come out, and when can I watch it? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's interesting as well. It's just it's a direct sequel to the eighties cartoon as yeah. well. So it's uh, jumping straight on there. They haven't. I don't think they've specified a time just yet for it. Uh, no, there is no premiere date, but it is going to be on Netflix. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, sort of a collaboration between Netflix and Mattel Television. So. Yeah, I would say that will excite a few people to say the least. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> I was—I mean, Kevin Smith has had a whole lot of the the, the folk he's collaborating with on on the the Batman Beyond or not the Batman. What do they call it? Fat Batman, Batman Beyond, Beyond mm-hmm. uh, podcast. And uh, I mean, the original one of the, the original guys behind the He Man Bible is very tightly involved Ooh. with it. You know, so cool. It's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be pretty awesome. As long as this is Clerks and Chase and Amy, Kevin Smith, and not Tusk, Kevin Smith, we're all right. <laughs> Yoga hoosers. <clears throat> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, speaking of TV stuff, there was a teaser drop for Stranger Things. Uh, I stupidly watched it. It was only about 50 seconds long, but there was a massive, massive spoiler in it that I just I hate the companies do this. Like Stranger Things is a global phenomenon. If you watch the first three seasons, you're watching season four. I think that's a fact. So I don't think you need like this little extra nugget of detail to go because you're on the fence about it. And they just they reveal something in it. I I did say to Roddy, don't watch it. And he is adhering to my advice. Although yeah, I, I think you were saying you kind of know what it is. I'm anyway. pretty sure everyone in the world knows what it is, but I it's haven't, still it's I haven't not, watched it and I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, keep it that well, way. That's good. Yeah, it's I I feel you. Like what what they're gonna for like a forty second teaser? You know why give something 
like that's something special in your show you yeah. know you want to reward an audience for watching that you know and like maybe the first 10 minutes of that uh, the first episode and like blow someone's mind with it but yeah. when you, if you see it in a trailer it's like it becomes pointless almost you yeah. know it ruins the ruins the show for a start but i don't know don't want to get into big mad spoiler <laughs> rants because i mean we already gave a spoiler warning on this so we're all yeah good. oh yeah that's right um but it's the same, same with like trailers and stuff now like i sometimes it sounds ridiculous but sometimes i stop like halfway through or i'll just like watch trailer one and that'll be it yeah well, i definitely but have a, that's what i try to hear too yeah because there's a there's a magic there's a magic in going to see a film and not really know much yeah, about it or as little about know, it as possible so. yeah um yeah so then there was just one other thing uh i, I know it was something more that you had uh seen announced keith about a new marvel title well yeah i figured we should probably bank some comic news in here whenever we're uh you know chatting about <laughs> <laughs> all things pop culture uh, hey, but we did. I, we talked about metal. Oh, we, we did. That's yeah, right. That's a know. fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I talked about metal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I probably grab metal as well, but um, I think what it was was uh, Marvel have announced that uh, spinning out of their Empire event, which we we talked about a bit in our last previews episode, um, Paul Grist and Andrea DeVito have officially revealed the union who will be the new Marvel superhero team coming to and from the United Kingdom. Uh, so we're going to see, uh, I mean, I guess the last time we saw a UK superhero team from Marvel, it was Excalibur, which, yeah, I mean, Excalibur's interesting, you know, and as part of uh, the House of X, Powers of X, uh, Hickman stuff, you know, it's led by Captain Britain, but, and it, it, it certainly has been focused on other world, um, which is, you know, where, where Camelot and all of that, Avalon and all that stuff is, but, but what we're looking at here, I think, is a is like a, a British based super team, um, with with a member from, you know, from England and a member from Wales and from Northern Ireland and from Scotland, uh, so it's it's kind of going to be interesting, interesting, you know. Okay. Um, last time round, I mean, MI thirteen, which is uh, the the they're like the spy team from the UK and usually involve Pete Wisdom, and we've seen a bit of Pete Wisdom in Excalibur, but uh, yeah, so it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Uh, looking at the picture, we can see Union Jack, who last appeared in Doctor Doom. Yeah, um, he did. and Union Jack, Joey Chapman. Union Jack was a was a contemporary of uh, Captain America's originally just introduced in Invaders in nineteen forty six, and that mantle has passed down and now belongs to uh, like a, a a working class guy called Joey Chapman. Um, but there's this hulking figure wearing a a hooded costume with a strange glow emanating from his right eye and. You know, there's there's someone in, in sort of green with a green hair thing, and there's, you know what I mean. So there's a lot of characters here I don't I don't recognise at all. There's someone in in red, white, and blue, he wielding a like a, a lion shield. So I don't know if there's a lot of new characters. I'd be interested to see who the superhero from Northern Ireland is and what their da- how their dialogue is <laughs> how written. written. Yeah. So read me. If there's not a here's me now in there, or here's me wasser, <laughs> and there's there's something wrong. So uh, so yeah, I think that'll be that'll be interesting to see. Um, Writer is Paul Grist, who originally wrote uh, Jack Staff, who was kind of a, a piss oh, take yeah, of you, yeah, you Jack, yeah. yeah and, I remember uh, that. Yeah. Andrea DeVito was uh, on Ant Man and the Wasp. So, uh, so yeah, so something coming out of Empire uh, seems to be coming out in May. Um, it certainly looks like one of those ones that could go either way. Exactly, it could yeah. Get things very spectacularly wrong, but it could get things very right if it does i don't know if they're gonna play into like the political atmosphere of it you know mm-hmm, or else yep. will it just be sort of more 
these are the heroes from our isles. They they yeah. do certain things, but we don't get into politics here <laughs> in this Marvel comic. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it looks like um, Excalibur are sort of going to war with Britain as well, oh, uh, right. which is okay. going to put uh, it's going to put Captain Britain in a. In a, in, a, in a weird position. I don't know if it's a bit of a, a, a post-Brexity sort of a tale. Uh, you know, well, then surely that means we need a European team. Well, you <laughs> see, what, see what happens, you know. But yeah, it looks kind of <laughs> looks kind of interesting. So I think that's out May. So we'll certainly grab cool. an issue or two of that one. Yeah, I mean, uh, I saw that article first launch through Bleeding Cool and it had one of the worst headlines of all time. Does this headline even make sense? Scoop, new Marvel Brexit British superhero team comic launches in Empire. No, no, it's a no. whole lot of words. <laughs> I like how they put in Brexit just to to get those numbers up. <laughs> Got to get this those clicks. Get clicks. Yeah, so this is uh, episode eighty-one, Brexit edition. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we've done a few of those. Yeah, uh, possibly, possibly. <laughs> um, yeah, any other news to throw out quickly? No, I've been up to talk some comics. All I've yeah. got. Bring yeah. it on. So well, yes, yeah, so this was the week of the twelfth of February. So. We always like to start with our book count. Uh, for me, I had 18 books this week. 7 DC, 5 Marvel, 5 Indie, and 1 trade paperback. Although that wasn't something new. That was just I'm in my stupid collector's mode. I'm going to be collecting all the Dawn of X uh, graphic novels because I just think that's a really clever idea how they're putting them together. I think it'll maybe only last for about 6 I think it'll last for volumes. 6 and then it'll go yeah. on to each individual one. But oh, I, I've is been, that the... The ones that are like one, 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 yeah. one, one. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's almost like an extra story on the spine because you've all the surnames all in a row. <laughs> the writers <laughs> and the artists. It's almost <laughs> like it's a story. But yeah, so the Dawn of X is basically how they're uh, releasing all the X Men stuff. So Dawn of X number one is all the issue ones of X Men, X Force, New Mutants, uh, Excalibur, Fallen, uh, Angels. Fallen Angels, and Marauders. Dawn of X volume two is all the issue twos, then all the issue threes. So. So yeah, that was my trade. So yeah, 18 books for me this week. How about you, Keith? Uh, 19 books for oh, me this week. Beaten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alan, you're never beaten because we buy all our books from you. <laughs> so if anything, you win. <laughs> uh, 12 Marvel, 4 Indie, 3 DC for me. 3 DC. I mean, that's such low number for DC. How about you, Roddy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I had 8 Eight books in total, although 10 if you count the two that were delayed from last week. Thank you, Diamond. Um, I had four Marvel, four Indie, big fat zero DC. Though I did read a DC title, which we may get to later. No spoilers on that. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with DC. I think Martian Manhunter's done now. Um, I don't know. I'm still on black label stuff. Yeah, I know there's a few. I know that, for example, there's another one you're looking forward to this week. We'll grab yeah. to later, but that's going to be the last it's, issue of that. I don't, like, I so. don't know what it is. I know we're kind of joke about it, but I don't know. Like, you there's read, nothing. At the end of the day, you read, we enjoy. Me, you know? We, yeah. we do always, we should specify, like, we do always have a laugh with this, but you should never close yourself off to any company. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. and yeah. comic fans, like anything in life, I suppose, with fandom, there's always people who are territorial about this stuff, but, you know, it's it's a silly way you're just yeah basically stopping yourself from enjoying you know more material so uh, uh yeah. but yeah um it basically was my answer <laughs> excellent and of those eight let's start with yourself then of those eight what is your pick cool like? um yeah we're gonna go for my title is the after realm by michael avon 
Oeming and his wife Taki Soma. Um, so this, and also should shout out the letters by Sean Lee. Um, this one, you guys haven't read it, so feel free to ask questions and I'll try not to spoil it loads for you, but I do really want to talk about it because um, this one was one that wasn't on my pull list, but it certainly will be now. Off the rack. Yeah, off the rack. Tell me, Alan, about uh, what you got in the post. Yeah, I mean, the reason this was brought to our attention was that um, Michael Avon, I mean, he actually... He, well, to further compliment that story, a lot of comic creators these days are reaching out to stores, reaching out to fans, trying to interact more. Um, obviously, anybody who listens to this before knows we chatted about how, you know, Keith and I are reading a title called Superman's Pal, Jimmy Olsen. I complimented it on Twitter one day, saying it was the best Superman title people aren't reading. And then three weeks later, a postcard arrives in the post from Steve Lieber, who's the artist on it, with a little sketch of Jimmy Olsen saying thanks for the support. So it was something similar with this. Um, I saw this advertised on Twitter as well. I retweeted it, said to people about jumping on it, maybe because I was a fan of a title called United States of Murder, Inc., which was written by Brian Michael Bendis. Um, Michael Avon Oemin was the artist on it. And then same again, we got a letter in the post with a little print from him that he had signed saying, here's what we're going to do with this book. We're, we're already three issues in, so it's going to ship on time. It's going to be a book that's released quarterly, which is an interesting model as well this is that book this is that book <laughs> and uh when roddy was in on saturday picking up his pulls i, I was just showing him this letter because i'd set a copy aside for myself and straight away i think he appreciates any creator that makes that effort and mm -hmm. sort of straight away it was just like yep i'll get that it's def definitely something i will apply in the future it's definitely a really i don't think you can get um stuff like that in other industries you know mm -hmm. that for as much as we want to slag off Diamond in the direct market and like have a joke at them, the direct support that you can give a creator is yeah. like, that can't be matched at all. Um, but yeah, like I think it's like, do you know in High Fidelity where he's like, um, he's in the record store and he's like, I will now sell five copies of this this record by the Beta Band. I think that's you with like indie titles for me. <laughs> like you're just like, well, I've got an indie book here. You know, he, I reckon he just like, pulls stuff from like under the counter and he's like just puts it there when i walk in but uh but yeah anyway <laughs> so this one is the after realm um number one as we say it is going to be quarterly and it's every issue is 48 pages um the uh, alan said the artist on united states and murder inc yeah was the very man, Michael Avon Weming. This time he is tackling writing and artist duties. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we know him from, I believe he's the co-creator of PARS, done a lot of work with Brian Michael Bendis, um, and also on Thor Ragnarok, which you might know, Keith, and Red Sonja as well, and one that Stephen will appreciate, Cave Carson with Jared Way. Um, but yeah, um, also Te Taki Soma is probably best known for her work on Bitch Planet. Um, but yeah, so really, really interesting series. Um, so it's set, uh, the After Realm, the aforementioned After Realm is about Una Lightfoot, who's an elf torn away from her best friend at the beginning of Ragnarok and the destruction of the Nine Realms. Keith, what are the Nine what? Realms? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a quiz for you, dear listener. You know, just list off the Nine Realms right now in your head. <laughs> but yeah, um, 
at the start of the book, she sort of she's struggling to find her friend and fulfill a promise. They make a promise um, about exploring the nine realms. Um, but as we get into it, the uh, nine the after realm is sort of sealed away from the other nine realms because they the elves have made a pact to sort of save the world and entrap certain people from getting to getting out and the after realm becomes this place where they sort of hold these prisoners and in these cool sort of ice prisons um i really love the book i really love the combination of it feels like a and i certainly know oeming said this it feels like a wait for it, keith it feels like an 80s cartoon inspired by thunder and dungeons and dragons should probably just fire, fire yeah. this in my box when we get it tomorrow <laughs> yeah. yeah i think that can be done so yeah um yeah that was the after realm <laughs> <laughs> keith is gonna pick it up um yeah what i really loved about it is really fun and it's really bold and it's really it's really like joyous as well um i love the style of it and it's also it's not an adult book but it's not a child's book it's like it falls for everyone yeah it certainly falls in that young adult sort of range that anyone could sort of pick it up and really really enjoy it um i love the art style in it i love whemming someone that i haven't really read much about but i love their sort of like angular styles to the faces i love the 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 drawings of the elves it's really um sort of like a freewheeling style and i love the colors of it it just it's really vibrant and it just looks like a it just looks like a saturday morning 80s cartoon um i love what they're doing i love um what i couldn't work out was it is also a kickstarter at the same time so Mm -hmm. people have people have backed it and there i know there's a kickstarter exclusive edition as well but you can back you can back a reward that's like the Kickstarter edition and the this the image edition. So I'm not too sure how the the relationship between image and the After Realm sort of and Kickstarter kind of works out. Um, but yeah, um, I can't say enough about this. A really just a really bold and fun, like really fun book. Even at a distance, is lovely looking. Yeah, like and you almost it's a great story as well. But you know, you're not going to get into too much spoiler details for me i would just say pick it up because it is it is one of those things that um it just feels like uh an 80s cartoon has come off the page and i love how i love how dynamic the characters are uh una lightfoot's a great 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 um addition to sort of like don't want to be the person that says like the female pantheon of like great characters really interesting characters too um, there's also a really interesting uh, companion that she has, the goat. Really enjoyed him. Um, but yeah, I'd say if you love if you love sort of eighties cartoons, Dungeons and Dragons, like you got to pick it up. Um, and it's only so it's going to be. He said it's going to be an ongoing as well, which is really interesting. And I love how. What's what's the other what's the book you read that's um it's not quarterly it's um Lazarus it's three issues a year isn't it but they're bigger they're sixty yeah, pages yeah Laz- Lazarus Rising yeah um another one of uh, uh our buddy 
Greg Rucker. Greg Rucker. Yeah. Um, I but seem to be developing a blind spot for Greg Rucker's <laughs> name. You've got um, a lot of friends in, <laughs> in the comic book industry. <laughs> so it's it's interesting. It's there's a page here in the back it says uh, which Alan's just pointed out to me. It says some influences in the after realm part one, <laughs> ancient mysteries, mythology, Dungeons and Dragons, eighties arcades. Just slid that across the table really <laughs> subtly. It's just yeah. I can I you know I'm not sure why I or how I missed this whenever we first talked about it. Um, but yeah. it, it should have been on my pull list, uh, and I hope you've got an issue one left. Cause yeah, I, a couple in store. Because I felt the same way. I was like, why did I not see it? But then well, did it appear it, in previews? I don't remember it being in previews. That's the thing. I'm, I'm, it first caught my eye on Twitter when he right. was talking about it and so forth. But I think Roddy's right that it it got more sort of coverage through Kickstarter mm-hmm. than necessarily. And it in previews made a bootload on Kickstarter. Yeah, it's done it really just, well. I was just looking it up there. I mean, it seems to be the idea is that it will be released quarterly um, through Image anyway with a direct market cover, but then mm-hmm. there's Kickstarter exclusive covers. But also if you backed it in Kickstarter, he shows off uh, a full-length photo of some of the goodies he has, like United States of Murder, oh, signed cool, posters yeah. and signed books and all this kind of stuff. So maybe just if you're a Kickstarter that's backer, you get like a little, a little something more, extra. Yeah. That's a really cool idea because I guess as he's, well, I don't want to say he's the sole creator, obviously, with uh, Takisoma in there, but he's he's the main influence, I would say. Yeah, I mean, driving, driving force. force. Um, so he, it's great that as a creator, he can do that. He's like, here, I want to do a Kickstarter to reward like people that are supporting this book that's yeah i think that's brilliant you know and something really something pretty unique that i haven't haven't really seen image do it with kickstarter yeah i've seen you know kickstarters obviously but it's a really really interesting uh play i suppose for him you know to do that but yeah can't recommend it enough um if you're a child of the 80s like keith or i or you you know it's you gotta go for it it's great and yeah, back to back to image for me. I'm really, really liking what they're doing recently. There's a, and I think it's like you don't really think of image as something for everyone. Yeah. But I think there is, you know. Well, there's definitely a market for it to say mm-hmm. at least. It's as you say, it's that sort of sweet spot where you've got a title that can appeal to all ages, but not feel like it's specifically for a specific age. So yeah. So uh yeah, cool. Um we're going to take a break now and uh, Keith and I are going to go and read the After Realm. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do have a copy for myself, same as Roddy. I, I like the influences of it. Um, so I was I was definitely going to jump on to this. We do have a couple of copies left in store, though I do understand we have one less now. Uh, I'll get you sorted, Mr. Miller, don't worry. Thank you, sir. Uh, so yeah, that was the After Realm number one, Roddy's pick of the week uh, by Michael Avon Oemin and Taki Soma. How about yourself, Keith? What do you firing for this week i think we're all falling into our traditional you know genres this week definitely um so <laughs> for me i'm uh, dipping back into the uh the the hickman pool the uh i'm, I'm, I'm heading back to krakoa uh for uh x-men 6 by jonathan hickman um you're just crawling out of the that mutant pool are you that <laughs> he's never left that he, he's never left that mutant pool <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, consistently there. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, I'm just, I'm just uh, looking for the. Uh, yep, there we go. The page. Okay, yeah. So X Men Six by Jonathan Hickman, uh, Matteo uh, Bafagni uh, on art. Uh, Sonny Cho is the uh, is the colorist. Uh, Lionel Francis Yu and Sonny Cho on the cover art. So we're missing uh, we're missing Lionel Francis Yu 
uh, as the as the main artist for the first time. Um, yeah, and this is it's it's not the first time that uh, that this particular artist has sort of maybe been on the first five or six issues of a book and then sort of fallen off or, or needed a bit more time. Just the the nature of the it's the nature of the beast, the isn't nature it? of the it's style we'll, is you we'll know get to that yeah, with another title later exactly but, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, but nonetheless, didn't you know? Didn't the, the change in artist has not detracted from from the book? So. X Men is the core book of, uh, uh, you know, coming off the back of, of uh, House and Powers, which we're we're still talking about nearly every episode, uh, which just shows you the influence of, of that particular uh, pair of series. Um, it is one of the books uh, of the, the the Dawn of X titles that um, that Hickman is writing, and therefore I feel the core book of uh, of that that set. Um, up until now, we've had a bunch of different stories. You know, it's cycled between a Cyclops story with a like on a different island, um, or you know, along with Cable and and Rachel, uh, we've gone through the political stuff with uh, with Charles and Magneto, uh, and this now circles back issue six circles back to one of the key points I think you would say maybe of the of the House of X uh, storyline, which very much so. Yeah, mm, it was a big big moment when we got through House and Powers where you thought, geez, where is this going? Exactly. So, I mean, and I mean, pitch in here, Alan, but. The, the the crux of it was that uh, Moira McTaggart and many lives of Moira McTaggart was was really key uh, and was the, the the swivel point on which the new Hickman reality of the X Men is is built. Uh, and and one of the key points of that was that you know she has learned through her different lives you know what the what the key moves were and uh, we still don't know the full the full extent of those lives, but. Um, but in issue, was it issue two, two of, of House? House yeah. uh, so we we learn a lot about these uh, these many lives of of Myra McTaggart, and at that time she hasn't quite worked out. Um, you know, is she is she is she is she helping Charles? Is she is she not? Is she in, in opposition for him? But uh, she tangles with uh, Moira tangles with uh, Destiny and Mystique. Uh, Destiny and Mystique are uh, lovers uh, at this stage, and. Destiny's power is to see the future. So she effectively forces Moira's hand. Um, you know, the, she joins them together because Moira continually resurrects uh, and Destiny, seeing, seeing her future, says, well, I guess she maybe have 11, maybe 12 lives. Uh, and, you know, I will I'll watch how your lives play out and I see the future and I'll, I'll always know where you are and who you are and, and when you're going to, you know, resurrect. And the point that, that Destiny makes is that I can kill you any time because I can kill you before your mutant power manifests. So you'll still have the knowledge that you have your past lives, but we know that mutants' powers only really kick in whenever they're teenagers, whenever they hit puberty. So if Moira is killed before her mutant power kicks in, that's her. She's she's dead. She's finally dead. So, so anyway... Um, Destiny holds this knowledge over Moira in order to in order to manipulate her, um, and this is the first time. Thanks, Alan. Just returning your wonderful hardback edition of the uh, House and Powers oh, Omnibus. Look at you. that what a beauty. sweet nine-panel structure right there. <laughs> but um, this story, X Men Six, uh, goes back to that time, and uh, Destiny more or less sort of tells. You know, it jumps through time. We see Destiny and Mystique back before Krakoa. Uh, we we go back to. Uh, uh, to the the Orcus Collective, you remember the the 
the the the orcas were the the collection of uh, human uh, organizations, parts of Shield, parts of AIM, uh, you know, parts of all of these different uh, groups who were who were creating the Master Mold back in like issue two or three of X Men. Whenever the all the X Men went to went up into space or near near the sun and and disabled the Master Mold and all died in the process. So it turns out there was something a little bit extra happening at that time. It's almost like a deleted uh, scene when you yeah, read this kind of really thing. Isn't it really is. It's fantastic, and uh, I mean that's where Mystique works best. You know, Mystique, whose whose power is to is to change shape. So, effectively, Professor X, who more and more I am getting really suspicious of. He's really bad vibes. He from. is so cold. You know, he's even, but even in the first the was original the, X, the House of X, and mm. the very first issue, he's he's a villain. He seems like a villain to me when he resurrected. When he was resurrecting his X Men, he was like, "To me, my X Men." And the I uh, I can't remember who it was, but they crawled out of the pits. You know, he's he's getting yeah, and he's he's. he's I mean, he's uh, he's Professor X has always been a manipulator, yeah, the, the guy behind the curtain, you know. Um, but even more so in this, you know, uh, in this reality, this storyline, you know. Uh, but he he effectively he's holding something over Mystique. And it's not until a little bit later on, effectively what he wants her to do is he wants her to be a secret part of that mission uh, to go up to, to plant one of the, the the gateways that have been so key to uh, to, to this whole storyline, you know, um, are, are seeds that grow in pairs, flowers that grow, grow in pairs. And he wants her to plant a flower on the, on the, set, on the, the, the space station in order they can get access to it on a regular basis. And she goes up there and does that and she dies, but they're not sure if, they're not sure because they're the, the X-Men on that mission were outside of the range of Cerebro, so they could only be updated. Their minds and their, their bodies could only be updated whenever they died and were resurrected. The, the minds could only be updated to before the mission because, mm -hmm. you know, so they're never sure if she succeeded or if she didn't succeed, so she has to go back to check, and it's a whole thing. But it's whenever we find out that the thing that Charles is holding over mystique to get her to do these things because mystique has always been a, a fairly unwilling villain type um is that destiny has died and he's effectively refusing to resurrect her you know she's a mutant as well but of course we know that the reason that charles is refusing to resurrect her is because he knows that she's a precog and will be able to Moira's still in hiding here. We know that we know that Moira's alive, but in hiding, you know. So Destiny knows as effectively the mutant who knows too much, and <laughs> this is <laughs> wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's clicking. It's now. The, you oh, know, wow. She could yeah. be. She could be the. She could be the brick that brings the whole thing down. You know what I mean? She could be the straw that breaks the camel the camel's back. That that you know. So it's it's kind of so that's what's been held over. Uh, that's what's been held over Mystique, but we know that Mystique is never going to get what she wants. But what Charles doesn't know is earlier on, Mystique, before Mystique saw all this coming, or sorry, Destiny saw all this coming, and told Mystique effectively, you know, and we find this out towards the end of the issue, that, that uh, you know, Destiny says, you know, let me, let me tell you what's coming, you know, and listen to me and hear the words of an oracle, that there will be an island, not the first, but the last, the place will seem to be a hope for our kind. They will invite you in, lift you up, and then deny you the one thing you want. And uh, they will they will promise it to you, and they will do everything they can not to honor the word because they're afraid 
They want us blind for some reason, but you and I, my dear, were born to see, uh, you know, and, and effectively, you know, at the end, it, it looks like Mystique is, is, you know, under Destiny's guidance, what she's told her in the past as a precog, you know, <laughs> before even they knew Moira and what was going on, is that, you know, Mystique is, is in a place to, to do Destiny's will and bring the whole thing down. So it's a really tense issue. It's really fantastic. It's, I can't believe it's taken six issues to get back to this, but uh, <laughs> but this is this is a key this is a key book in this uh in this whole this whole thing this whole storyline um so in that case when that uh, in effect then it is a wee bit disappointing that Lionel Francis Yu who's been the artist so far isn't on it mm -hmm. but uh but yeah such a such a tense tense book and just twisted in a way that is just so Hickman you know uh very very good very Fagney's good. art is it's up there it looks it is, fantastic yeah, it, it, really, it is yeah. it has a francis Hugh quality about it but um yeah it is i know i understand that because you you do want to look back and go oh do you know that great run of hickman and lionel francis you it's like well it's kind of broken that up one you know issue. yeah and that's but that that is the nature of it you know it, it's a monthly comic and they is it a monthly comic the x-men uh, or is it, it, it like has been though we've had a wee bit of a problem we've a slip yeah into i it. mean yeah. with x-men it was um an olinal use uh inker passed away and I think yes. that's why there was a slight delay ah, on it. Right. And then maybe that's why he that's, stepped off it for a month. Yeah. That kind of uh, thing. But In that case, it's just unfortunate timing. Yeah. Oh, very yeah. much so. But I do know X-Men 7 is next week. Uh, not this week that we're recording, but next week. So they are playing a wee bit of catch-up, but they're almost there with it. Mm. Uh, I mean, the other thing is it's really interesting to see a spotlight on, on, on different characters you know, and, and how they're dealing with this new way that things are, this new, this new, this brave new world of the, of the mutants, you know. So, uh, yeah, really, really great stuff. The other interesting thing, Alan, was, did you notice there were none of the uh, stereotypical Hickman inserts in here? Yeah, there you was know? just a very quick one at the start, just with something not right, and that was mm. that was it. But well, that's that was more the, like that's the just prelude. the page, yeah. Um, yeah. So. So yeah, maybe he was, you know, foreshadowing the fact that there's no inserts by saying something's not right. Well, yeah, it could be that, you know, <laughs> when we're we're starting to see the the emergence of the Nimrod Sentinels and all of that good stuff. So, yeah, what a what a book. Yeah, what just a, a real. I keep referring to it as a triumph for long form planning, uh, because you know it's paying off stuff, and as you say, it's it's showcasing locations that we saw back in earlier issues, but just a different part of that yeah, location. A, a different point of view and a different, yeah. It yeah. also shows like what um, Xavier's capable of and the fact that he could literally walk into anywhere in the world. If he can get the right person in there to plant the seed, he could create a portal to anywhere. Mm -hmm. And given that we don't fully trust him, that's a, that's a big part to have to say the least. So, uh, yeah, it, it's weird in a way because Xavier looms over all of the Dawn of X stuff, but he's probably the character least explored. Yeah. So you, you get the feeling there's an issue coming up soon that's just going to be pure Xavier. Uh, so you do. So, But yeah, it's good to say as well, X-Men. I think ever since issue four for me, it's now become the best X book. I think the first couple of issues, X-Force was leading the way. Uh, but I think ever since that issue four, which was literally a, a full issue of just talking heads you know, um, with Xavier and Magneto there. Ever since that, I think it's been exceptional. So, uh, yeah, that was very, very close to being my pick of the week. It was the first thing I read this week. And I messaged the guys in our group chat and was like, yep, this is the book to beat. But then I got a message a day later saying, <laughs> forget about that. 
So, yeah. And on to what you actually did and choose. And on to what I did choose. And I'm so sorry to be so stereotypical and fall into the same traps as always. But for me, the best title this week was a Batman book. Uh, but I say Batman book. It's a, f- it's a book that actually focuses more on Alfred J. Pennyworth. Uh, so this was Batman Pennyworth, RIP number one. Uh, it is a one shot. Uh, quite a lot of creators on this. Two writers, which is James Tenney the fourth and Peter J. Tomasi. Uh, and artists, you have Eddie Barrows and Eber Ferreira, Chris Burnham, Marco uh, Takara, Diogenes Neves and David Lafuente. Tinian and Tomasi were so Detective Comics team, weren't they? They were, yeah. Tomasi was also a big part of the Batman and Robin run, which focused a lot on Damien. Uh, James Tinian, of course, has taken over the main Bat run. The one thing I would say is I do find it a little tiny bit strange that Tom Kane had nothing to do with this, given that he, A, was on Batman for so long, but B, was the person who killed Alfred. So I was quite surprised. Yeah, because when I was reading it, it's a lot of fallout from, yeah, his, from his, his run, run you know? Very much so. Uh, so yeah, the reason this, uh, became my pick of the week was just primarily A, it's a brilliant book, but B, I had a real, real emotional reaction to this. Uh, not since Friendly Neighborhood 6 has a issue actually brought me to tears as good or bad as that sounds. But, uh, we came home, Vicky went upstairs to get a shower. I thought, I'll just read a wee quick comic. No music on, no TV, sat down to read it and she came down and I actually was in tears. Uh, and I needed a hug. So uh, now that that uh, wow. is not, since I'm so comfortable with my masculinity, I can now move on to the actual issue. Um, yeah, so an oversized issue. Uh, this is celebrating the life of Alfred. Um, it was, it may be early in the year as well. And as you all know, I love a bit of hyperbole, but uh, <laughs> I know you what I was going to say. This is now the issue to beat this year. Uh, the crux of the issue has the Bat family all being gathered at the opening of a hospital that's being dedicated to Alfred in his memory. Uh, and as per Alfred's will, it's his wish that the Bat family take a night off from crime fighting and share an evening together as a family. So what they do is they rent out this bar. Um, they've done a little bit of recon around it, making sure there's no recording devices. Uh, they've put some of the extended ma- members of the Bat family out on patrol, so Gotham is still being protected. But the core part of the um, the meeting at the bar is Bruce. Uh, you also have Damian Wayne, Jason Todd. Uh, you have Rick Grayson. Uh, you have Barbara Gordon and everybody's most boring Robin, Tim Drake. Easy take. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it would have been really easy to do a really mushy issue here where everybody gets along and everybody talks about how much Alfred meant to them. But what's great about this issue, for me anyway, is that you know there's guilt and there's blame and there's anger and there's all these emotions everywhere. Damien's still feeling guilty about the fact that he went in the city of Bane when Bane said, if anyone comes in, I will kill Alfred, thinking he could save him. He's also the only one who actually sat across and watched Alfred die. He was killed in front of him. And as much as Damien is this well-trained assassin, child prodigy, whatever, he's still a child. And this is someone he cared about being killed in front of him as a result of his actions. Um... So there's a lot of that stuff sort of explored, but the the way they set the issue up is great because they essentially all tell a story about Alfred and what he meant to them, and they go one at a time. And this allowed uh, the the sort of device of having a lot of different artists on this work really well. You could have a different artist for each flashback. You could have an artist married to material from you know people who have worked in these characters in the past. 
you know, the first one up was uh, Damien's story, and it was uh, drawn by uh, Chris Burnham, who was very early on in the Batman and Robin run. He worked with uh, Grant Morrison, and it's just a really simple tale of you know Batman basically having a go at Robin, saying like. <laughs> he sounds like such a father here he's basically pointing the finger at him he said i'm getting tired of your disrespect i sometimes feel like i'm talking to a wall damien arms folded says and i sometimes feel like i'm listening to a raging controlling madman <laughs> uh so essentially batman grinds him <laughs> this is just great he storms off and he's like uh that's no patrols for a week like this is how he punishes his child you're not coming out on patrol with me you're not putting your life in danger and Damien's like, seven days, no big deal. And Batman storms off. They make it two weeks. I'm going out. Uh, but all this issue essentially was, was Damien feels useless being um, left in the house. So he goes out and patrol anyway, stops a few different crimes and all the rest. But what's really cool here is Batman then appears within the mist um, as if he's been caught and Damien's panicking. But what it actually is, is it's Alfred in the Kyle. And he came out to basically say, look, we need to get you home. Don't worry, I won't tell your father. I know why you did it. And it leads to this really heartbreaking page where Damien's just in absolute tears. And this is something you never see from Damien. You never see this vulnerable side. And he sort of finishes it off with you know, saying, I'll never forget him. He was a good man. He deserved more. I know what you're all thinking. You think this is my fault. And you're right. I forced Bane's hand and that hand snapped Alfred's neck. I can still hear it. And then he basically leaves and says, look, don't follow me. Um, and then it, it it goes from there and you get all these different stories but I just thought it was a really great dissection and a really great dedication to Alfred's life and his importance within the Bat family you know it's sort of it breaks it down into the fact that such an ordinary loyal man could have such an impact on so many extraordinary lives and he really was the glue holding it together and as much as this is a one shot Keith and I were chatting a little bit about it I mean, there's there's going to be some serious repercussions from this. Like, Bruce is losing mm -hmm. it. Bruce cannot face losing Alfred. He won't open up. He won't share his feelings with anybody. Like, he, he although he sort of ultimately, although Batman ultimately triumphed in the city of Bane, like, Bane still succeeded because Bruce is broken. Um, I mean, he's Bruce Wayne is kind of a, a bit of a an emotional shut-off. Like, he's, yeah. he's the opposite of your reaction reading this book. <laughs> he uh, he can't deal with his own emotions. He's he's a really hard man. <laughs> well, he's never uh, he's never dealt with his parents' death. Yeah, he's uh, I mean he did that by dressing up as a bat and brutalizing criminals. Um, he you know what does he what does he do now that his second father, yeah, the man who raised him for longer than his actual father did, you know, on the death of his the death of his his actual father, this dude that he knew for what ten years, yeah. Uh, so caused him to do all that. What's the death of the man who actually raised him going to do? Yeah, you know? you know, actually, that's a great, that's a great point because when you were saying about Tom King, maybe it's, it's not about what has previously happened. It's about Tinian going forward. Yeah, and all these ramifications. That's a really interesting way to look at it. Um, but for me, uh, Alan kindly lent me his copy to read just so I could have a DC. DC title on the board, you know. You are welcome. Um, I think a lot of the the sort of overarching storytelling, you know, there's stuff that I maybe wasn't familiar with, maybe went over my head, but I thought it was a stellar, stellar issue from the the art. Um, obviously, I love a good anthology, but the art really combined into each story. It was like a little fragment of memory, you know. Yeah, a little vignette. And as much as it characterized the 
the Wayne family and extended family, it really characterized Alfred, you know, as just, just a good man with a good heart that tried to hold them all together. And the the sort of last story with uh, Nightwing was pretty pretty tough to read, shall we say. But um, DC, see these annuals? Although I don't know if you consider this an annual, annual one-shot, that sort of thing. They've been really, really strong. Yeah. You know, there's Very a lot much. of past couple have been Alfred related too. You know, obviously, was it number three, the Tom King one? Was, they, uh, it was Tom Taylor. Four, Tom Taylor, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, Father's Day. Father's Day was the Tom Taylor one. What was it? The Tom number King one was, was a really Tom funny King, one. So it was yeah. the one that was sort of the entire history of Batman yes. encapsulated yeah, into it, one. Yeah. Well, it had yeah. some really good issue. Alfred moments too. But this links really, really well to that Batman Annual 3 and that Bruce doesn't really tell a story here of what Alfred meant to him. Mm-hmm. But you can almost say that that Batman Annual 3 was yeah, what Alfred yeah. meant to him. You know, the whole Father's Day and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, just some really great emotional moments. I mean, I can understand people not having the reaction I had to it. This is this is building on sort of 20 years of reading for me, you know, and I'm with familiarity with these characters. And just even at the end, you know, you know, I'm I'm just going to call him Dick Grayson because I can't get on board with Rick Grayson at all. But even he pins up this photo to the wall and he sort of says, you know, that's that's what Alfred was. He was a good man and he spent his life keeping this family together. And interestingly, at the end of this night, which is what Alfred wanted, it's the opposite because they're they're broken. They're all gone and Bruce is left on his own. And uh, even even uh, Rick Grayson, who does not remember what Alfred meant to him. Yeah has more of a reaction than Bruce does. Yeah. That's it. And then, and the only time Bruce can actually show emotion is when no one else is around. Uh, because Dick had left this photo behind. He pinned it to the wall. And uh, Bruce ends up grabbing it down off the wall, looks at it, and it's like to Alfred. And it's just all of them in the cave all together. Sort of happier times. Uh, and even then, Bruce doesn't really have much of a reaction. <laughs> he's, he's totally closed off. Like, oh yeah, he's standing grumpily in the background as well. Um, there was one uh, that one moment where uh, Barbara was was chatting about, uh, you know, all the things the city had been through. You know, with yeah. Bane and and uh, the the Batman who laughs and all of the people who had a bat symbol in their chest that have totally destroyed what Batman means to the city. Uh, and she says, "Bruce, you let my dad's brain get infected with a with a monster." By a monster, you took a vacation on the beach at the worst possible time, and it got Alfred killed. That's just you're like, oh my god! Yeah, that was straight through the heart, like wasn't it? You know, you went on vacation, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you were you were running around with Catwoman. Yeah, while you were off on the beach having you a know. lot of blame being thrown around there. Yeah, I mean that's it. I mean Barbara comes across really, really angrily throughout this, but that's how she deals with her grief, you know, mm-hmm. through anger. And that's it. They all sort of have those different stages of grief, I suppose, as well. Well, I mean, that's exactly that. She's going through a lot. She, I mean, her dad is is, is a bad guy at the minute. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but I do have to admit, as, as emotional as the whole issue was, there was one part that I actually had to stop because I was laughing really hard. And it was just early on. And they're all in the bar. And uh, <laughs> they're, they're all getting a drink together, basically. And uh, there's this little drawing of Damien uh in his little tuxedo and he's just like if none of you is going to say anything of substance i'll go first i was the last of us to see alfred alive it seems fitting richard a glass of ginger ale if you would (laughs) (laughs) just the way the art's done and so i was absolutely laughing my leg off at it so that was a really really great moment so um so yeah so sorry to be so um conventional and so easy to uh to work out what i was going to pick but 
this was everything I wanted it to be. It was a fitting tribute to Alfred, and yeah, just a really, really great issue. Um, can you hear my voice shaking already? Uh, cool. So that's Batman Pennyworth, R.I.P. Number one. Made me miss Nightwing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think as you said, though, we're getting there. You know, he he might be coming back soon. Oh, we're getting close. We're, we're getting, getting close. close. <laughs> so uh, yeah, those were our picks of the week. Uh, we'll maybe just take a very quick break, and then we'll come back with some honorable mentions. So now that the uh, the picks of the week are uh, down on tape, we're now on to the honourable mentions. So as down we sort of on tape, down on tape, showing our age here again. Well, Roddy keeps saying about how we're children of the eighties here. So <laughs> you know, we we all remember the days of taping the you know top forty off the radio. But uh, yeah, no. So for the honourable mentions, same as last week, we'll break it down into uh, company. As we were sort of chatting a little bit, it is a maybe a slightly quieter week with DC this week. Um, so we've only really won DC title, and when I say we, I mean I. Uh, <laughs> so just one I wanted to throw a bit of love out for was Green Lantern Volume 2, number one. Uh, Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp. Uh, the first season of Green Lantern was up and down, very weird, very strange. Some people dropped off it after one season. Hands up over here, but yeah. I mean, I have to say that yeah. there were some real good issues. I mean, uh, the, uh, uh, yeah, too much of uh, too much of, of Grant Morrison is probably enough for everybody, you know. But I mean, he can he can never <laughs> have enough Grant Morrison oh, here now. Come on, a drinky no, no, metal. No. But uh, there was that one issue that I really really enjoyed, which was the the one where they get lost inside the ring. The world yeah. inside yeah. the ring. It's almost like a fable or a fairy fantastic. tale. Fantastic, yeah, really good. Yeah, I mean, it, I think that's more what I mean by it was sort of a bit up and down. You can pick out moments, you can pick out, you know, issues that were great, but maybe you don't see it as a brilliant, cohesive run, so to speak. But what I really enjoyed about this was I did read Black Stars as well, which was the, uh, the fill-in three issues. But the weird thing about this, and I can't believe I'm saying this about a Grant Morrison title, was really, really straightforward. Uh, it just read really, really well. So it sort of kicked off with this uh, idea that the the old Guardians uh, were about to be discarded and there's going to be these new younger Guardians brought in, so the Guardians of Oa. Uh, Hal Jordan is back on Oa at this point, I should say, after a successful mission, which was in Black Stars. But uh, yeah, it just... It was a really straightforward title. It was nice that it was sort of about the idea of like new ideas coming in and maybe these old ideas being antiquated and the way the universe is run is is wrong and so to speak. But there was also some really cool interactions, Hal Jordan with John Stewart, with Jessica Cruz. Uh, you were starting to see a few more of those guys. You know, it's nice when you can get the uh, the line thrown in here. So when can we expect to see you back on terra firma for more than five minutes? The Justice League could use a visit. You know, this has been very much a Hal Jordan in space title. It hasn't really been a Hal Jordan in Earth, aside from issue one, which was where he was sort of lost and didn't know what to do. And he had Set the scene for the rest of the series. Very much so. Uh, but with this one, he eventually ends up having to go back to Earth. He's sent on, on a new mission by the end of it. But yeah, just really straightforward. I just still can't believe I'm saying. Uh, really, really fun. And it was interesting because there was a... They create a sidekick for Hal Jordan in this as well, uh, which was really, really fun. It was essentially a water-based... Um, maybe I'm saying this is really simple here, and then I'm saying this. Uh, but there's basically <laughs> this water-crystal-based character um, who, you know, 
talks about all these different settings he has, like setting three produces a never higher degree of agonized and prolonged mineralization. <laughs> setting one is only used in emergencies. Um, so this is uh, a character called Rakaktoro of Carlax, and he's basically like a comic relief character for Hal Jordan. All the setup seems a bit you know overly complicated maybe but as he gets used through it Hal Jordan very much wants to be like the lone wolf and do everything himself there's one point where he turns around he's being attacked and turns this guy and is like when are you going to help and he's like you said you didn't need my help I'm just going <laughs> to stand over here let me know when you're done so I think so there's a good bit of humor to it as well and it's really set the scene nicely so uh yeah and the art i cannot say enough good things about the still gorgeous looking as ever oh liam sharp's art i mean there's one you know they're sort of celebrating hal jordan coming back all shining their rings in the air and just some of the artwork is just absolutely fantastic Mm. so yeah that was the one dc standout for me it wasn't far away from being my pick of the week as well but uh you know i had to revert to type and go for batman well let me pitch in with the flash number 88 that, those aren't on our notes, Keith. What I are you know, doing? Well, you know, show, relax yourself, <laughs> relax yourself. So, I mean, Flash gets mentioned fairly often, Joshua Williamson, but uh, Idiot was an interesting one. I feel, so they've, they've introduced Paradox. This is a, the, the origin story of Paradox, who is the, the villain behind everything that's been going on in a lot of uh, Williamson's run. Uh, so I think the next the next 11 issues probably right up until 100 are going to be sort of focused on what's happening here so it's again it's another nearly deleted scene sort of book mm-hmm. where you you know what's happened to paradox has been happening behind the story of flash in the background of flash year one and you know the the stuff with the the, the turtle and all of that sort of stuff so yeah interesting interesting book just to, just to give dc a wee bit of extra yes <laughs> love your work Keith. love your work uh so yeah a couple of dc mentions there there's probably a few more Marvel mentions this week. God damn it. Uh, yeah, so on to the Marvel picks. Uh, I think the first book that we were sort of throwing a bit of love at is a book we're all enjoying, Hawkeye Freefall, number three. Uh, Matthew Rosenberg and Otto Schmidt. This is dealing with the revelations at the end of issue two that uh, Clint is actually Ronan. Despite the fact he was, in fact, in the same place as Ronan whenever Winter Soldier and Falcon, Falcon, Falcon. were... Uh, yeah, we're, we're by his side. Yeah, so this was sort of the, the explanation issue, sort of, of how this was actually possible. Just continues to be really whip-smart dialogue, really funny. Um, Matthew Rosenberg really does write Clint Barton as a bit of an asshole, <laughs> just, to say the least. I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't agree that he's a bit of an asshole. Um, he just, he's always, he's always out of his depth. Always yeah. out of his depth. He's you a know. buffoon. He, but he, but lo- like in a lovable, charming way, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you're sort of wondering how far is he going to put this on? Like, I mean, how, how much of this is, <laughs> yeah. is Hawkeye doing a bit? You say he's you not know? an yeah. asshole. He lets his missus walk into their apartment and strip down as she goes to go and get a shower without telling that there's someone in the bathroom. He ends up perving over her. <laughs> he, just, he, doesn't, he, he just doesn't know how to react, you know? But it was great, uh, great comedy. <laughs> so, some really really good stuff. I love the uh, the reference to uh, I love the reference to the Joker movie in it. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he's uh, you know Clint effectively gets himself a gets himself a sidekick. Um, what do you call the kid? Bryce. Yeah. And uh, you know over the over the 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 comms, Bryce is like, and then he he killed these three guys in the subway. After that, it got all weird, <laughs> you know. But I also like that he wouldn't pay to watch this DC movie. He's like, I torrented if you want to watch it. <laughs> but then Clint's like, nope, 
Only jerks illegally download stuff, Bryce. <laughs> <laughs> also, it sounds real dumb. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you get a nice... What's always good about Hawkeye Freefall that I've been enjoying so far as well is um, you, you get nice cameos just dropped in. You know, Ooh, it, it connects yeah. the universe a lot. And through this issue, you get Natasha Romanoff coming in. And they, I mean, she makes a reference to, to Bucky and the thing with Bucky. And it's after you boys tried to rescue me. That was the Tales to Astonish book. You know? Yeah. Well, that was Rosenberg as well, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that was that. There's a notion in there. There's a there's a couple of characters from the uh, from the the seminal Hawkeye run that uh, you often speak of. Yeah, um, fraction run. Yeah, the fraction run. There's uh, there's some some stuff in there. So yeah, really good book, really enjoyable it, book. And there's a there's a lovely cameo at the end. Lovely um, cameo at the end that comes off with the most ironic line of all time. Surprised to see you here. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, Hawkeye Freefall continues to just be a hell of a lot of fun. Um, we're f- tumbling further down the rabbit hole there, getting more plot elements going. Do we think it's only going to be five issues then? We, I I do see it being, like, extended. I could see it being extended, but I could see it being a good run if it's similar to Rosenberg's Punisher run. It was about mm-hmm. 16 issues, you know, just enough to get a good meaty story, but not outstay its welcome, so to speak. Uh, but, yeah, I'm I'm digging it every time it comes out. It's always near the top of my read pile each time uh, with Hawkeye Freefall number three. So And uh, Otto Schmidt still rocking it on the old oh, art. Big oh, yes. style, Gorgeous yeah. looking. Yep. Great comedic artist, if that makes yeah. sense. He's really good with the physical comedy and the slamming doors and people storming off. And, yeah, there's a great moment in it where, you know, he goes to make up with his girlfriend and then she ends up storming off again. <laughs> so it's... Uh, I, wait, I can explain. Oh, wait, no, I can't. Yeah. I always, oh, sorry. Go ahead, no, right, you absolutely. go ahead. Um, I was going to say, I find Otto's layout's really inventive. There's always like, you know, usually in comics you might get, you know, you get your traditional nine panels or you get whatever, but Otto Schmidt will throw in, you know, like 20 and that's what, that's what probably makes him so good at comedic yeah. stuff, you know. No, sorry, definitely. Keith, go, go ahead. Um, there's some fairly deep cuts as well um, with regard to Marvel Marvel mythology with the inclusion of life model decoys and, and all of that good stuff. So it's, it's pretty uh, it's pretty yeah, cool. Matt, can, Matthew Rosenberg knows his, knows his Marvel. He knows, way, he knows his way around Marvel. He could put you to the test, I reckon. Oh, I'd say so. Um, <laughs> Venom number 23, part three of Venom Island. Yeah. Uh, who read this? I read this. Roddy, not, not yourself. Me. No. no. Uh, Donny Cates and Mark Bagley. We're still we still have the fallout from Absolute Carnage here, and uh, uh, there's some great stuff again. Some 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 deep cuts into Spider-Man mythology and the origin of Venom and and what's going on here. Um, so yeah, the, the 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 two Venom, the Venom and the Carnage symbiote, and uh, are kind of uh, intertwined, and we're trying to get them separated. And uh, meanwhile, Dylan, uh, Eddie's son, is. Uh, is mucking about with uh, part of the little sliver of the Carnage symbiote. The, the, it's not the Carnage symbiote. It's the um, the dragon, the Grendel dragon, from the start of the run, uh, which eventually became the symbiote that Carnage wears. Mm-hmm. But this was before Carnage wore that, and uh, so there's some some weirdness going on with Dylan and a uh, bit of a bit of a shock ending. But Mark Bagley's art is fantastic. Uh, some great Venom historical stuff and. Uh, yeah, really, really enjoying it. There's a bit of a bit of a predator moment in here. There's a wee, few wee nods. Several predator moments. <laughs> you know, so, uh, which is very much in place, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And Roddy did enjoy one particular piece of dialogue. I showed him a page, and <sighs> Zark. Big, uh, big double page <laughs> spread there. Yeah, very nice. 
So, yeah, no, Venom continues to be great, great art, great storytelling, and a great Scotty Young variant cover. <laughs> uh, what else you got Marvel-wise, then? Uh, I'll go for this one. How about Amazing Spider-Man, number 39? This is part two of the breaking news story. We uh, all on this? We, yep. I think we all are, yeah. Um, I am continuing to love this book, and especially what you said earlier about long-form storytelling. Mm-hmm. What long-form storytelling does it can afford you a little detour now and then and this book i think is a brilliant detour we're still charging through the plots with uh the casino and chance chance yeah old speaking school, of deep yeah. cuts uh-huh, there's yeah, yeah, probably definitely. a very deep cut chance and the foreigner and the that that the casino of betting and uh the foreigner turns the tables a wee bit on chance in this uh, in this particular mm. series, but it's not the focus of the no, the focus of the story. I I just find this one amazing um, because it's it's a relationship that's lasted I don't know like how many years in Since Marvel history, but they yeah, yeah. Nick Spencer has uh, turned it on it on its head. Um, this this time we've got Ibn Quello on art. He did the last issue as well. And Pat- Spider-Man art's fantastic. It's really yeah. good. Patrick Gleason actually did the cover this time, we should say. <laughs> <laughs> it has his name on it, and but he even gets credit inside. I love the um, his Spider-Man. Coelho's Spider-Man is fantastic. I don't think it's missed a beat. I think sometimes I do feel... I was thinking about art cred and all that sort of stuff, and I don't want to get too into it, but I know... I do understand why people maybe say sometimes this is a writer's vision because mm-hmm. you can see it certainly on a book like this because artists are filling in all the time they're jumping in it was brian otley at the start it's chopped and yeah, changed we've had humberto ramos we've yeah. had Ivan Quayle, we've had patrick gleason but for me that doesn't take away from how spectacular it is and there's a lot of great character moments in this book i love the podcast it's jay jonah jameson doing a podcast with spider-man it's brilliant it's fantastic it's amazing it's very on point Mm-hmm. I love the way you keep losing, using spider nouns as well. Yeah. You've used amazing, you've used spectacular. How many more can you work in? Let's get a sensational. I mean, you're so friendly. <laughs> well, you, you know, you can't force it. It's, you all, can't it's force all coming it, very naturally. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of great, uh, like I love the character moments. I love, um, there's just great, great little nods to the, the, the relationship, relationship yeah, yeah. And there's it's, it's all about point of view as well because you know obviously what's happened is is in more recent uh issues and spencer's run jameson has gone from being spider-man's arch nemesis you know the whole spider-man threat or menace you know he's, he's spent his career you know really going after spider-man in the press you know and He's changed it around now. He's he's become Spider-Man's biggest fan. He he knows he knows he knows Peter Parker as Spider-Man. You know, they were related. They were they're actually half brothers because uh, <laughs> because uh, Aunt May married uh, Jonah's father. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at that time and so forth and so on. That's when it. Went. But but Jameson has come to understand Spider-Man and he's now actively battling against the the press in order to show Spider-Man as the hero he is, but in his own controlling special way, <laughs> you know, that is very much Jameson. But as they go through this, as they go through this podcast, they're being manipulated, manipulated by the new, by threats and menaces and Nora Winters and uh, 
you know, making a great podcast, which means they're going to have to fight. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, you see that you see there the are various points of view, and you suddenly, you know, JJ's going, but you attacked me, and Spidey's going, no, I didn't. Oh God, maybe I did. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Shows you're, many you're, yeah. of so it really is, really is brilliant. Uh, it's beautiful. Yep. Coelho's uh, Spider-Man is so expressive, and there's that uh, that page you're talking about where it's just Spider-Man's head with the headphones. And all the times he sort of attacked Jameson. He sold Jameson, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. You know, um, he, lo- he really, whenever he was a kid, he really lost his temper with him yeah. like a few times. But uh, there's a great backstory here also by Nick Spencer, art by Francesco Mobili. And it's it's staying on point with the uh, the storyline that uh, is going on with the mysterious individual with the, the millipedes and the centipedes and the insects and the Sin Eater. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, so this is called The Sins of Overdrive and we're seeing a, a Spider-Man D-list villain and, and what's going on here. And uh, uh, there's a bit of a twist in the tail. It's not a twist in the tail, really. Things have gone badly wrong for him. And uh, we see uh, two feet appear in the panel at the end and I imagine those are the feet of the Sin Eater. Mm. Uh, Sensational Sin Eater. Yeah, so, <laughs> well done. Superior <laughs> Sin Eater. Um, I wonder, are we going to see a series of one shot of these wee backstories that are going to be the sins of various villains before this guy goes... Goes, I think you could do that, but them, I don't know. know if you could do them as like single issues. But yeah, certainly in the back of something. Yeah, yeah I think we're, we're, we're going to so. see a few of these before the Sin Eater really premieres in Spider-Man's life again. You know, because that's yeah. what he did was he killed off a lot of villains, kind of like Scourge. So I think we're, mm. gonna, we're maybe going to see that. He killed off the less than superior foes of Spider-Man. The very ones. But yeah, there's a, there's a really cool little art detail as well. I just. I think that um, it's where they're first talking in the podcast in the um, in the recording studio, and Spider-Man's hanging upside down, and the <laughs> just, it's a tiny little detail, but it would have been just so easy to have them sitting across from each other. But I like that that's how, in a way, he's most comfortable. Uh, that's how you do the podcast too, isn't it? Don't give away our secrets. <laughs> I sit and brood in the corner in darkness. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, amazing. Spider-Man 39. What else you got, Keith? We know you got some more Marvel titles. Oh, I do. Uh, Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme. Is anybody reading this? I think you're on your own on this one. Just yeah, me. I, re- I read okay. the first one, but circumstances mean, you know, you I can't, totally can't understand. pick them all up. Totally understand. Mark Wade and Kev Walker in this book, and it's a slight change of status quo. By day, Doctor Strange, Stephen Strange is a renowned neurosurgeon, but by night, he's the source of Supreme Earth's first line of defense. So, um in the last couple of issues, someone has been selling mysterious mystical artifacts in the black market, and uh, Stephen, using his own forge, has created these gloves that depart these mystic artifacts. Um, he wants to turn his attention to this mystery, you know, these black market artifacts, this, uh, you know, uh, I guess, weapons selling, you know, a magical weapon selling, but uh, this is a wee bit of a wee bit of a diversion, a wee bit of a one-shot, where Stephen and his, and his doctor... Um, persona comes across this guy who looks like he's about 90 but he's 19 uh he's aged over the past few days and steven discovers this tattoo behind his behind his um his ear and we talk about the power of symbols this this tattoo is is a siphon that's siphoning off this kid's life energy uh to another realm which turns out to be the realm of ink and tattoos uh, so there's some really great, you know, Stephen, Doctor Strange journeys to this realm, and there's some real, real fantastic, um, real, real fantastic uh, backgrounds and art based on based on tattoo designs. Whoa, uh, it's really class. trippy, um, you know. And there's also all these different designs, and uh, and eventually Stephen comes across the the demon that is that is doing this thing to this kid, and it's it's. 
uh, it's just really cool about about tattoos and so forth and so on. But the very end connects back to the main to the main story. You know um, that you know this villain used this uh, in the in the tattoo realm used this uh, enchanted tattoo gun to do a thing to to Doctor Strange, and the only place that the components for it could possibly have come from Doctor Strange's own forge. So mm. yeah, Mark Wade is. Mark Wade is, is is a master of his trade, so really enjoying this book. I would say, I would say, get on it, get on it. You know, it's been it's been a good long run, despite the fact the title has changed. Been the same, been the same writer. So, um, we're all enjoying Jessica Jones' Blind Spot. I know Vicky is uh, not here with us today. Yeah, great, uh, great issue of just endless fighting almost, uh, <laughs> and a conversation that takes place during that fight. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Elsa Bloodstone, uh, she cameos in here, and uh, it's just a really, really big, gory fight. And um, while they talk in calm tones and try to work out the mystery and so forth, I did rather enjoy the superhero landing part of it as well. Nailed that yeah, one. Yeah, oh, she nailed the landing, and then the girl is like, "Did you, did you break our pavement?" No, no. <laughs> you know, yeah, really good book. Uh, I've been enjoying EarthX, as you know. Uh, Alex Ross's EarthX, uh, and the thing that inspired me to reread it was uh, Alex Ross and Jim Kruger's Marvel's X, uh, which is the prequel to EarthX. Um, so we're in the second issue of that. This is how the mysterious plague that occurred to make EarthX the way it was, where everybody's superpowered mutants happened. Um, and uh, through the eyes of a child, our, our narrator and our, our uh I guess our protagonist is a young boy named David who's the last ordinary human left on Earth and he goes to New York to find the superheroes but what happens whenever he gets there are they as they were I'd just like to say I was correct the guy that took him to uh, to New York was in fact John Blaze the ghost writer in a truck oh yes yeah. Yeah, I remember you, ta- I remember so, you talking yeah, about yeah, it last, just like last to, time yep absolutely but uh, this uh, Daredevil's in here and Spider-Man's in here and uh it's, I mean, it's it's really good. It's it's going to make up a great. Um, it's a great prequel to that Earth X, Universe X, Paradise X. Mm-hmm. You know, so Marvel's X is. I think it's going to make a lovely, a lovely prequel set. So, so how so. many issues is that one going to be? I think, think it's four. It's either four or five. Four, I, think. I thought I was going to say six, but who knows? <laughs> it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a mini series, a limited series. So, uh, yeah, really, really worth picking up. And Alex Ross covers, of course. So. Oh, yeah. Not bad. Awesome. Never go wrong Not with bad. that. Um, Just really one more. Marvel and sure, I, I would throw it myself, which was Thor number three. Um, Donny Cates and Nick Klein continuing to do some great work with the God of Thunder, or as I should say, the Herald of Thunder these days. Um, this issue was one that picked up from the seeds of issue two, which ended with Beta Ray Bill showing up to oppose Thor. This issue is essentially that fight. Uh, we were sort of joking about the script is probably just Donny Kids writing, just do cool pages of art of Better A Bill and Thor fighting, have Better A Bill get knocked down a few times, the end. Mm, there's but some really what good What a showcase for yeah, art, though. Yeah, it really was. I mean, that, that bit, because well, they're brothers, they're effectively mm-hmm. brothers. I mean, Odin created Stormbreaker because Better A Bill was worthy of, of, of holding Mjolnir, you know what I mean? And we know what that means, you know, so... But uh, there's one moment where where Mjolnir's returned to Thor's hand and Bitter Ray Bill grabs Mjolnir, you know, and Thor's like, nothing will stop this hammer returning to my hand. I don't want to rip your arm off, Bitter Ray, you know. So there was that moment, but it did make me think, uh, you know, whenever Thor is saying, you know, we, we, were, we were matched, mm-hmm. but 
that's whenever I was Thor. Now I'm Thor. I now have the the Odin power. You know, I'm the All Father, and I have the Herald of Galactus's power. You know what I mean? So we're not matched anymore. So don't do this. You know, but Beta Ray Bell's like, nope, you're up to bad stuff. You know, um, but uh, exact dialogue quote right there. But it just it goes to show Donny Cates really likes like mounting on the power sets because Cosmic Ghost Rider was just the Punisher with Ghost Rider's powers, with also the Herald of Galactus's powers. Uh, Thor is Thor with Thor's powers and the All Father powers and the Herald of Galactus powers. So he's, you know what I mean? He's, uh, you know, I hope he's not uh, he's not gonna repeat his game. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's everything from Marvel, I think. What about the indie side of things, Roddy? Yeah, well, I go for it first. Um, so I'll go for... I'll shout this one out. Um, this was another one that wasn't on the pull list, but certainly I'd spied it, I'd heard about it, and I was like, we always talk about a Western. How about this? This is one that I missed. Another one you missed? Um, well, get on this. Um, you should. Do you recognize the artist, Sammy Cavella? Recognize the name from Tommy Gun Wizards. Ah, yes, the very boy, Finnish Finnish artist. Um, yeah, this this is fantastic. It's called Undone by Blood: The Shadow of a Wanted Man. Um, <laughs> what a title! What a title! Um, yeah, so this is written by Lonnie Nadler, who we've talked about with Black Stars Above. Also, Zach Thompson, who's done stuff like The Dregs, and colorist is Jason Wardy. Um, sort of the story takes place on two planes. You have um, Sort of like a Western story, which turns out to be uh, a comic book or, or a book, sorry, in the the actual story of this girl. Um, hold on. Let me see if I can remember her name. Um, so it's Ethel Grady Lane, who she basically she's traveling to her hometown and she's trying to find the man who killed her family. She's gone through this horrible tragedy. And the um, the story sort of takes place on two two different planes, and I'm looking forward to see how they go. It really reminded me of like a gritty '70s thriller, and like an I exploitation love, type thing almost. Yeah, I love the art. I love the style of it. Um, the colors on it are incredible. Um, it's really great. Um, I really love Sammy Sammy Cavell's art. Really great, like flaritin. There's a lot of brooding and menacing things going on all the really things you need it. in a western yeah yeah but um i think the the real meat and potatoes of the story are going to come in the next issue but this is a really great setup so yeah get on it cool i'm done by blood number one from uh, i should say it's by aftershock by aftershock uh aftershock do a lot of really good stuff but no one seems to be on it and there's a lot of good writers and artists work with aftershock I mean, Donny Cates has a book with them. I know, think it's baby a, teeth, for I example. I think it's a Atlantic sort of thing. I yeah. think over here we don't really know, but I do think they're pretty big in America. Oh, that's good. I think okay. anyway. What do you cool. got over there, Alan? Uh, one, I'm just going to throw a little shout out to uh, because we can't get through a full podcast without talking about a brand new boom title. Uh, this <laughs> is a title called Alienated. Uh, this is written by Simon Spurrier, uh, art by Chris Wildgoose, and colored by Andre May. Uh, yeah, this was a crack and we read. This is one that title is dual meaning. Uh, you're f- essentially following three different kids at a, at a local school. One is a wannabe anarchist who is sending out all these videos online saying like, wake up, the culture is wrong, they're lying to you, politicians are wrong, blah, blah, blah. 
but it, it starts off all really threatening when he's doing it all this great imagery of the american flag and you know they're oh, filing oh, anything so you come off with the line oh say can you see with your cow eyes fixed to the ground blah 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 does all this and then you find out he has six subscribers and it's a kid doing it from his basement <laughs> he's called samuel uh so he's then off to school and you're introduced to two more characters and all three characters begin with the name sam so it's Samuel, Samantha, and Samir. And they're three different sort of loners at school, so hence they're slightly alienated from the rest of the school. But they all sort of end up chatting on the way to school that day, and they discover this um, this strange thing in the forest that's hanging from a tree. And what this does is when they touch it, it actually links all of their minds, and they can actually talk to each other through thoughts in school, but they can also access each other's memories. Um, so hence another alienated added to the added to the um, title meaning. But yeah, beautiful art style. I was chatting with the guys earlier about it. It does remind me a little bit of Dan Mora, um, obviously artist on Once in Future, has that similar sort of vibe to it. Um, deals a lot with, you know, the, the sort of challenges of fitting in at school and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, really, really good book. Ended really, really darkly, which I'm not going to spoil in case you just want to read it. But it ended in a really, really dark way. And once again, as is befitting of Boom titles, it has always something cool on the back cover that's related to the title. Cool. Uh, in this case, a weird symbol and then the word awe. Um, so yeah, really, really strong number one. Uh, that was Alienated number one. What else you boys got? A couple more shout-outs? Yeah, I got The Clock number two by uh, Matt Hawkins and Colleen Doran Art, uh, Brian Valenza, the colorist. Um, so this is our, our second issue of our our story about um the really really aggressive weaponized cancer uh, weaponized cancer and uh the the our our protagonist is, is jack whose wife has died of this this disease which seems to be a really accelerated version of, of cancer um and uh, we move on through here we we discover you know he's just uh, he's been given a note saying his wife was murdered and it's the the note also has an, a number, the alphanumeric code, which is the, I guess it's the, uh, the, um, it's like a genetic code. Yeah, genetic, uh, yeah, the code for, for, for lung cancer. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's, we're, we're getting into conspiracy territory here. Conspiracy stuff, yeah, government cover ups, yeah, that's big exactly money corporations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on this as well. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. We were saying that the art is maybe not the most, inspiring or massively interesting art it's maybe more functional but I, I do think that the artist does convey the emotion of it very very well uh if nothing else but just it when you look at a book like what i was just talking about they're alienated or we're talking about thor these sort of heavily artist driven issues i think it's very uh i'm not reading it but when i look at it it reminds me of like a classic sort of 90s Mar mm. marvel book or something mm. it, it is very classically comic book for me whereas um stuff like alienated and a few other titles i think they're maybe pushing the envelope a yeah. bit more yeah i mean it it, it absolutely 100 percent does the job yeah you know mm -hmm. um and it, it fits the story a uh, bit of a tragic twist in the tail of uh, the end of this issue but uh moving the moving the story along so i am I'm sticking with this. Yeah, I'm cool. very much a. I, I love a good conspiracy type story, you know. <laughs> so talking about child of the '90s as well with things like the X Files and so forth. But mm -hmm. what about children of the '80s? Come on, boys! What you, you have to throw something in? <laughs> yeah, is this this our last one? This yeah, it is, is our last yeah, one. I think we'll, it's fitting. Yeah, we'll finish it off with GI Joe number five. So this this is 
by Paul Aller, artist Chris Evanhuis, uh, colors by Brittany Peer, letters by Niall Utick, I think. Um, that is an interesting name. But yeah, this one, um, continuing on the Joes, we we sort of are jumping in different points in this this new G.I. Joe universe. And uh, tell us about your relationship with this book, Ronnie. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, it's been, uh, I don't want to say hit or miss, but it's been sort of like a confusing relationship. <laughs> Is that the right word so to we're, describe We're it? talking about uh, expectations, maybe. Yeah, I, I think that's that's completely it. I maybe expected one thing. And, you know, I, I obviously knew it was going to be like a changed G.I. Joe, but the story for me it's very grand and it's picking different snapshots of it certainly is yeah that's not really what i expected so that that's up to me and my own expectations with it um but i think what they've done some of the books i felt didn't follow up enough on their because they there's a, a few dramatic cliffhanger and you're like oh cool that haven't but, been picked up yet yes and yeah. I, I think there's been about three of those but yeah. this one i felt Similar to the first one, had a real strong emotional core and it had a great, great story. And the best, I think the really su- successful part of this G.I. Joe book is when they have a character or part of the G.I. Joe universe and they just twist it on its head completely. In this case, Zartan. Yes, uh-huh. completely. Um, yeah. We are in Dreadnoughtistan. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're a G.I. Joe fan, you'll know about the Dreadnoughts. Um, but yeah, so we're back to, I think what we were saying is the story is kind of tying together now. Uh, because you see now we're, yeah, we're, we're using Jenks here who was interested, who was introduced earlier on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we knew that this, we knew that this story was, was, was going to shatter expectations from the first issue and the first few pages of the first issue, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, but yeah, totally, totally agree that you're, you go ahead. You, I mean, you're saying, as you say this, it is starting to tie together and, yeah, well, basically, um, Jinx goes to Indianapolis, which is the site of one of the greatest Cobra atrocities after the uh, the war. Um, and we were introduced to the Dreadnoughts, who are completely different from what you... Well, they're a semblance of what they used to be. Yeah, yeah, they're close enough. You're, they're recognizable, yeah. but they're completely different, yeah. which is, I think that's one of the greatest strengths of the book. They're community um, warriors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they're they're for themselves. They're very much uh, a com- community, and they're they're trying to do what's best for their people to move on after this war. Um, but I really, I really enjoyed the craft of the Dreadnoughts and Jinx. Sort of, she was the point of view, your point of view going into this Dreadnought universe, and I really, really felt that uh, Chris Evanhuis's art and the colorist and mm. um, Brittany are starting to really make magic with this book. Yeah, At the start, I, I was right. kind of. Not hesitant on it, but I felt I was like, does this suit G.I. Joe? I don't know. But now it's starting to pick up. I think a lot of there's a lot of great stuff happening. Buzzer certainly comes across really interestingly, but what and it's nice to see the bats who are some of my favorite mm-hmm, creations yeah. in the G.I. Joe universe. Well. Yeah. Completely. Um but I'm really, really digging it now. I think um starting to get back into it. There's some nice set pieces as well. So it's great to see. That- the the overall thrust of the story was interesting that that um, uh, Stalker and Jenks have have come to Indianapolis to to tell the Dreadnoughts, listen, you need you need to get out of here because Cobras they, they've done this to you and they're coming back because Indi- you know Indianapolis is going to be the 
the center of Cobra Power and in, yeah. in the north, yeah. you know. And you know, the the dreadnoughts are doing all right. And in some ways, I think there's a wee bit of an allegory here. Maybe you, you agree or disagree, but <laughs> uh, but you know, GI Joe swoop in, and by the time they're finished, everything is fucked. Yeah, you they messed it I mean? all up it's, basically. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 you know, and, and you think they think you think if they hadn't intervened, yeah. would it have been all right? You know what I mean? So it's you know, there's there's definitely a maybe a yeah. I I see. I, there's definitely an allegory. Certainly, reading the past few issues, I know Paul Adler, Paul Aller is pretty political on Twitter too. So there's, there's something it? there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good. Glad I'm to with hear. It. Um, trade's coming out. Trade will be out soon. So it'll be nice to read it. Together, together yeah, yeah. cool interesting yeah. to see so maybe not have that helps. frustration of sort of the one-shot nature almost of it that's yeah that's what it feels like a se- that's what it felt like a series of one shots to me which is no bad thing really but no it's time together i think it's a, it's a little more than that there's definitely yeah. there's threads and i think they're just pulling those threads together so cool Sweet. i think that's that's us that does indeed bring an end to the uh picks from February 12th. Uh, we'll just finish off as we always do very quickly by just throwing a few shout outs for what we're looking forward to this week. Uh, for me, it's a couple of DC ones. DC coming back strong this week. Uh, Deceased on Killables launches, which is Tom Taylor's sort of side story to the main Deceased timeline. This one's going to focus more on the villains rather than the heroes. Uh, you've got Bang number one from Matt Kint, which I'm very much looking forward to. And then the most expensive issue of the week, uh, Batman 89 comes out, new character being introduced, a lot of hype around this issue, a lot of, to be honest, what I don't like about comic books sometimes with people speculation, speculating and buying up copies and maybe depriving people of, of the issues who just want to read it. But yeah, that I'm, stuff's not on. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan, uh, but I'm looking forward to digging into the story at the very least, so that'll be Batman 89 would be my third pick. How about yourself, Roddy? Cool. For me, we are going uh, DC title. Yes. You know? <laughs> uh, one Black Label, Keith Booze. Yes. <laughs> Keep going, Roddy. Um, so this one, is this the end of Killer Smile? Well, it was until they announced a new one shot coming out called Smile Killer, which is going to focus on Batman. Oh, wow. But that's not joined until May. See what they did there. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Really been enjoying that story by Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino, the uh, Gideon Falls team. Uh, what else have I got? Transformers Galaxies, number four. Been really enjoying the Constructicon sort of storyline there. I think it all wraps up in number four, too, and then goes on to a different story. Keith will love this one. Probably stole it from him, but this one's Old Guard number three. Oh, yeah. Loving Greg Rucka's work there. Really can't wait to see where that goes. And also, I think last week I mentioned Canopus, a Scout Comics book, was coming out, uh, but I was wrong. Had a week's delay. I was wrong. Yeah, it's coming out this week, so can't wait to read, to read that uh, uh, Dave Chisholm. Uh, he's the artist and the writer on it, so can't wait for that. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting week for me. Cool. And how about yourself, Keith? Well, I'm all over the board with Marvel, DC and Indy. Um, as Roddy rightly says, uh, Old Guard, Guard Force Multiplied number three. Um, that's just... Oh, Beautiful. <laughs> really, look at that. Be top of the pile. Um, <laughs> I've got Wolverine number one, Benjamin Percy coming out. Uh, really looking forward to that. That's one that uh, Vicky will be looking forward to as well, I'm quite sure. Um, Benjamin Percy is on X Force, so that's going to be some interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, the art looks pretty awesome too. Uh, in the uh, the image camp, I've got Undiscovered Country number four is next week. Mm. Oh, uh, cool! That cool. continues to 
uh, intrigue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mystery of exactly what's going on. Issue three was a was a big one for that. So uh, issue four, I'm looking forward comes off the back of that. And for from DC, I've got He Man and the Masters of the Multiverse number four as Keldar journeys to the uh, the universe of the original filmation '80s series. Uh, oh, that's a big one. Then. Yeah, yeah, in his fight against the anti He Man. So this should be a good one. Cool. So, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So that's what we're looking forward to. That is uh, this week's releases, the 19th of February. Uh, So I think that's going to do it for us. We are off to eat some beautiful truffle mac and cheese. And uh, we'll see you in store. Quattro formaggio. (laughs) (laughs) Four cheese mac and cheese. Bye-bye. Keep on winging it. This podcast is brought to you by Coffee and Heroes, a comic book and coffee shop in Smithfield Market, Belfast. You can find us on all the usual social media outlets, at Coffee Heroes 1 on Twitter, at Coffee and Heroes on Instagram, and just search Coffee and Heroes on Facebook. This podcast is also produced in association with Fracture Press, an independent comic label also based in Belfast. You can find Fracture Press on all major social media platforms. If you do like what we do, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and most importantly, spread the word.